welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Hey, Queens Church, Pastor Larry here for the final installment of our Fearless series. I would love it if you just drop a note in the chat right now um, of something that God has taught you throughout this series. I did that on my Instagram this week. Like, what is, what are we, how are we growing in 2020? Focus that in a little bit more on what God has taught you in this Fearless series. Let me tell you the main thing that I have learned, and that's that we can trust the sovereignty of God because he is sovereign over all earthly elements that make up our society, whether it's kings or dominions or presidents or congresses or even time in general. Since he is sovereign, we can trust in him. Um, Today, though, we are going to look at the last two chapters, this amazing vision that Daniel has. I encourage you to go read all of chapters 11 and 12 as soon as church is over. We're not going to read the whole thing today. But we're going to see that we can be fearless in the meantime, Fearless in the meantime. Our freedom from fear, which we've been talking about this whole series, does not mean that we have a free pass from the struggles of the earth. Can somebody drop an amen for that one? Right? Our, our freedom from fear does not mean we get a free pass from struggles. It's not like when you go to Six Flags and you pay an extra hundred bucks, you can just fast pass to the front of the line, right? That's not how our fearlessness work. We still have to face the struggles of the earth, but we know that in this waiting, in the meantime, we are equipped, church, with all that we need to do four things that we're going to see today from Daniel chapter 12. We're equipped to do four things in the meantime. So, Chapter 11 sets the tone, sets the scene for what's going to happen now that Israel is not in exile anymore. If you remember from last week, King Cyrus was in charge at the time, and uh, Israel is out of exile. Jerusalem's walls were torn down, and they're going to begin building those back up. But God is pointing to them in, uh, in Daniel chapter 8, and he's saying clearly that they are not going to have an easy time of it just because they're out of exile. That's why I kicked off the sermon by saying, just because we're free for fear does not mean we get a free pass in life. Same with Israel. Just because they were out of exile doesn't mean that they're going to have an easy time of it. And then chapter 12 lays out for us the future of God's people. And the beauty of the future of God's people from Daniel chapter 12 is that because of Jesus ushering in an adoption by which people who are not children of Israel, people who are not Jews, can come into the family of God. When God talks about the future in Daniel chapter 12 of his people, you and I, because of Jesus, are included in that future. Amen? So let's read. So I I told you there's these four things that we are equipped with in the meantime. And I want to just point out the first one now. Daniel chapter 12, let's read verses 1 through 3. At this time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." 
And verse 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Those who are wise, who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Somebody drop the sun emoji or the stars emoji down in the chat right now. Just light it up. Because this first thing that we are equipped with is the ability to shine out loud. God's people are to shine brightly so that others will follow him. The vision that Daniel receives is one of instruction to go forth shining like the brightness of the sky and calling people to turn from their wicked ways to righteousness just like the stars point and direct our path forever and evermore. I want to ask you a question as those stars light up the chat right now. How did you first encounter the goodness of God? What was the first time you recognized God's goodness? Was it from an individual person, maybe someone in your family, a, a grandparent or a parent? Maybe it was a friend or a coworker. Or you might even say that the first time you recognized God's goodness was through an enemy. Because there was an enemy who loved you extravagantly. And you found out that the reason they loved their enemies was because they were a follower of, of Jesus. And you learned about him from that. I hope that's somebody's story today. I hope that we are loving our enemies so well that others may see that love and be attracted to God. That's the vision that Daniel is receiving here. You see... Church, God has a specific calling on his people across all generations to be the ones who shine brightly so as to attract those who are far from him. But I want to know if you've ever considered, because I did for the first time ever while writing this sermon, have you ever considered whether or not there are people close to you who are actually turned off to God? Instead of, because instead of shining brightly, you have actually damaged God's witness in their life. I know that, you know, Sundays are supposed to be encouraging and fun and great. And you think, why, why you got to ask a, a, a question like that that hurts so bad, pastor? But it's something that we should consider. Because if we're called to shine brightly to attract people to God's word and to him, then it also means we need to analyze those dark areas of our life, those places and those people whom we may be actually turning off to God. It's, it's easy to shine brightly to those people that we love and those people that we feel um, the, the instant urge to accept and to bring in. However, there are a group of people in your life that you do not love easily. Maybe it's people who think or act differently than you. Maybe it's people who look differently than you do or, or speak a different language than you or came into this country in a certain way that you may not agree with. Each of us have people who we don't naturally want to lavish God's love on. We don't want to shine brightly to them. And I don't want to just gloss over that fact when we say that we are called to shine out loud because church, Jesus brings an element of of. Uh, reality into this when he says that we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those people who are persecuting us. So church, how are we loving our enemies? If we are to shine out loud, it must be to people who we naturally 
do not want to show God's love to. You know, I texted a few um, photographer friends this week, and I asked them all the same question. Six photographer friends, six people said the same answer. The question was this. What is the single most important element to creating a beautiful photograph? The single most important element, you can type it in the chat if you think you know, I'll give you a couple seconds. The single most important element to creating a beautiful photograph. You know, church Christians, shining like the brightness of the sky is the single most important element for creating disciples, just as, see if anybody typed it? Anybody in the room got it? Lighting, lighting, that's it. Just as lighting is the single most important element for creating a beautiful photograph. Now, one person did say, also a beautiful subject doesn't hurt, (laughs) which is true. Um, But just as lighting is so vital for creating a beautiful photograph, Christians shining brightly is the single most important element for creating disciples of Jesus Christ. Before snapping a picture, a a photograph, uh, sorry, a photographer needs to make proper adjustments to the aperture and to the shutter speed to account for varying uh, temperatures and varying amounts of light. And they do this to ensure good lighting for a beautiful photograph. Church, for a follower of God, adjustments have to be made in order for us to ensure our lives are reflecting the light of God. And that is what we're going to, that, that's, that's the second point. You've been equipped with the ability to shine out loud, right? And this ability is, in, is the single most important element in creating disciples, that we are shining out loud. We are, sh- are showing the love of Jesus to others. But also, it comes with this next element that we find right here in verses 8 and 9. Read with me verse 8 and 9 of Daniel chapter 12 as we close out this book. I heard, but I did not understand. Have we been there with Daniel so far in this book or what? I have heard, but I did not understand. (laughs) Some of you say, that's the thing I learned the most, is that Daniel is as confused as I was in life. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, though, I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? We could probably preach a whole sermon on that verse in how when we do not understand, we should go to the Lord and ask and wait and listen. The answer, but that's actually not the point or the sermon. That's for later. He says, What shall be the outcome of these things? And he said to Daniel, Go your way, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Go on your way. Have you ever gotten so hung up? on not understanding something, that it actually held you back from doing what God is calling you to do in the moment? It hamstrung you. You see, church, what what God is telling Daniel here when he doesn't understand is that he needs to do something that's really difficult in this fearless process. Are you ready for this? He needs to trust in the mystery of God's plan and God's timing. You say, I can't trust in the mystery. I got I to gotta know what I'm trusting in in order to trust in it. If it's mysterious, it's unknown to me. And I fear the unknown, so I can't trust in the unknown. Therefore, I cannot trust in the mystery of God. God, I don't understand. You must give to me what I need to understand. And God says to Daniel, go on your way. Go and live your life trusting that I am in control. Go your way because it's a promise. The words 
are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. He's saying the words that will unfold and answer the questions that you need understanding for, they're shut up and they will be revealed when I am ready to reveal them. You know, God does actually show us quite a bit of what he's doing with us and to us and for us. And we can be thankful for this privilege. The times that we do understand what God has for us, we can be thankful for that. In fact, on my, uh, that Instagram poll I told you about before, someone said, I am praising God that in 2020 I learned what God wants me to do in my life. I know many of you might be watching this saying, uh, can I get some of what she's having? Because I want to know what God wants to do in my life. Sometimes God reveals to us and we need to be thankful and praise him for that. But, he doesn't always give us everything at once. You know, Psalm um, 119 has this beautiful passage that I encourage you to m- memorize if you haven't. And it says that God's word is actually a lamp to our feet and it's a light into our path. God's word is not like the sun displaying everything up to the horizon that we can see. Oftentimes, God's word is just a lamp and it's just a light that we need to focus on and walk the path. So, When you trust someone, the mysterious things that person has uh, as parts of their character or as parts of their, um, uh, parts of your relationship, they're not as scary. In fact, mystery is appealing. Think about it like this, okay? Take yourself out out of the mind of trying to understand God's plan for your life and think about mystery in this context. With a perspective shift, you could see that the mystery of God can actually be seen as something that draws you into him instead of forces you to be pushed away. We experience this in relationships. How many times have you heard someone say who got divorced this phrase? The mystery was gone. There was no mystery left in the relationship. So wait, if we are people who have a hard time trusting the mystery of God, why are we attracted to mystery in other people? You see, the motivation is this, because to move on, the, the, the motivation is to move on because the mystery is, is, is capped out, right? Breaking off a relationship for lack of mystery is a cop-out. Because listen, there is always mystery. Lindsay and I actually talk about this often. There are mysterious elements to every relationship, no matter how intimately you have come to know that person in your relationship. For instance, I can never know fully what Lindsay is like when I am not around. That's mysterious. Now, I can learn from other people and the way that they talk about her um, or the the things that I hear them say to me when she is in our presence. Like, for instance, one of the things that I've learned about Lindsay that is mysterious is that her level of humor escalates greatly when I'm not around. Now, all of you know why that is, right? It's because I'm not around to dominate the discussion, so when I'm not there, you lose all those words that I'm filling the page with, and Lindsay has a chance to come out and say some of the things that she's thinking, just sitting quietly, being kind to me, or whatever she's doing when I'm around. So when I'm, when I'm not around, she's funnier than when I am around, and that's mysterious. And see, that mystery can actually draw me in closer to her. It can, it can cause me to want to search out to find those funny things in the moments when I'm with her. Breaking off a relationship for lack of mystery is a cop-out. There's always mystery. And the more you get to know someone, the harder it is to find the mystery. That's why people say 
The mystery was gone, so I broke off the relationship. When the relationship started, I was always learning new things about them. This was wonderful. I was thinking on this next date or on this next, um, this next time that we uh, are intimate with one another or this next time that we have a child together. Th- there's, there's more to learn. There's more to learn. There's more to find. And then you get 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years down the road and the kids are gone and you say, eh, the mystery's all gone. See, the mystery is not gone. It's just that the mystery might be harder to find, so it takes a little more work. There's your relationship-free lesson. But with God, the mystery is always right up front. God never hides the mystery from us, right? We say, God, you're so mysterious. Sometimes we're like Daniel. We say, I don't understand what you're doing. It feels like there's too much mystery. We're often confused by God's movements around us. We're surprised by his miracles, and sometimes we're even frustrated, right? Have you ever been frustrated with God for his lack of forthrightness? Like you don't feel like he's giving you enough information, so you get frustrated? These things are mysterious, and I just want us to try, just try to have a perspective shift. Instead of seeing the mystery of God as something that he's withholding for you, withholding from you, and it makes you not want him more, Think of it like a mystery in a loving relationship with another human where that mystery actually draws you in. There's a lot of illustrations we could use. You could even think of a mystery movie, right? Or a mystery novel. Why do you want to read those? If you, if, if you, if you play the God one out to its logical conclusion, if we don't like mystery and we want to know everything, then why would mystery novels and mystery movies even be a genre? We are people who are attracted to mystery. Let's have a perspective shift and see God's mystery as something that draws us in like a good book or a great relationship. God tells Daniel here to go on your way. He's saying, trust me to reveal you, reveal things to you in my time. Go about your business and instead of being frustrated by my mystery, be drawn to me in the midst of it. Acts 1 says this, This is at the time when Jesus is um, ascending into heaven. His final words on earth to the disciple, these are some of the final words on earth to the disciple, and and the disciples say to him, they come together and they ask him in verses 6 through 8, Lord, will you at this time finally restore the kingdom to Israel? Kind of the culmination of, of Daniel 12. Like They're saying, God, is this the stuff Daniel heard about hundreds of years ago? And Jesus says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, but, go on your way, Daniel. It's not for you to know the times, Jesus says to the apostles, but you will receive power. Somebody type power in the chat or put the muscle emoji. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church, we are called to go about our way, knowing and being drawn to God by the mysteries that he reveals to us slowly, knowing that we have received power from the Holy Spirit to go about our way with a mission and a purpose. Mystery is attractive in a relationship because there's a purpose and a mission. You want to know them better. You want to love them better. It's the same in our relationship with God. Mystery draws us in, and God gives us the power to follow him as as his witnesses to the people that are close to us. Third in verse 10, we are to grow in holiness. The four things we're to do while we're waiting. In the meantime, shine out loud, go on your way, 
grow in holiness. Listen to verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined purely, but the wicked shall also act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Right at the beginning there. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. The picture that we're given here is like clean linen or like a fresh snowfall. Pure and clean and pristine, untouched. We are to grow in holiness as we wait for the mysteries of God to be revealed. Growing in holiness is manifested. It manifests itself in our good works and in the fruit that comes from our relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever read Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us a, a rundown of what comes, what, it, what, what does holiness look like in life? And he says the, this fruit that we, can, we could say, this is what holiness is. Do you know, can you quote them with me? If you can at home, do it. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to know if you're growing in holiness, analyze those nine areas in your life. How am I loving? How's my joy, peace, my patience, my kindness, my goodness, my faithfulness, my gentleness, and my self-control? You see, righteousness and justice flow from the purity of And the wise grow in holiness so that fruit comes out of their thoughts and their deeds. And that it's good for who? We say this all the time at Queen's Church. It's good for the glory of God, for for my good, and for the good of others. This fruit is for God's glory, for my good, and for the good of others. In the meantime, we are to grow, not to remain stagnant. We are to grow. And finally... In verses 12 and 13, we can see that not only do we shine out loud, we we go on our way, we grow in holiness, Ah, but this one is so peaceful, maybe even relaxing. Listen to what it says in verses 12 and 13. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. You got to go back and read Daniel 11 for some more context on that. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. What else do we do? We rest in the sovereignty of God. Resting in God's sovereignty in the meantime is not laziness. Sometimes we get caught up so much And I'm sure Daniel experienced the same temptation as a very high-capacity leader of thousands of people in this foreign land. The danger is to get so focused on the work of our hands that we forget that we are resting in God's sovereignty. Because we, uh, we associate rest with laziness and work with productivity. And in our culture, laziness is bad and productivity is good. But God says, resting is productive in my kingdom. You know how the picture that Jesus, when he came, uh, they were expecting a ruling king who would ride in on a horse and conquer all the nations. And he came as a humble servant and he got on his knees and washed people's feet, which was the servant's job. And he said, things are different in my kingdom. It's not going to be what you expect. This is the same concept. Rest is different in the kingdom of God than it is on this earth. And I know that there are actually plenty of secular earthly people who would 
who have come to the understanding that rest is good for our bodies, right? But it groans in us, this desire to want to work and to feel productive. But those who rest in waiting will stand for eternity. Our eternal security, like it says on this mug, your future is secure. That eternal security is found in none other than the sovereignty of God. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of the sovereignty of God. If you're looking for what the sovereignty of God looks like in real life, it's Jesus. Because God was saying all throughout this Old Testament about how one was going to come. From the very beginning, he was talking about how sin would be um, uh, the, the effects of sin would be avenged and that God was going to come and he was going to send one who would save all mankind. And this whole Old Testament, God's saying, I'm sovereign, trust me, rest in me, I'm sovereign, trust me, rest in me. And he says here, even to the ends of the days, and in verse 10 he talked about eternity, these people will last forever, they will go on. He's saying, trust in my sovereignty. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus is the person that represents God's sovereignty. He is the physical representation of the sovereignty of God. That is, God is in control. Don't believe him in the Old Testament. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the personification of God's sovereignty. And when we strive in our rest, we look to Jesus, who said in the book of Matthew, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So church, these words that Daniel received, this instruction that he and the people of Israel were supposed to live out in the meantime is express instruction for the church. Paul teaches in the Old Testament that we are now this exile nation. We are citizens of heaven. We have, we have taken on new citizenship. We don't, our, our eternity and our security does not lie in the things or the nations of this world. And now we are a part of heaven. We are sons and daughters of God, but we are exiled to earth for this time. And while we are here living in exile, we can live fearlessly. You can go back and listen to the whole series again to figure out why. But in the end, it all culminates in these reasons because God has called us to shine in order to bring others into this rest. He has called us to go on our way, accept the mystery of God, and have a perspective shift so that we see that God's mysteries actually draw us in. And then we can grow in holiness because we know that fruit is good for God's glory, our good, and the good of others. And this, and only this, is how we can rest in God's sovereignty, the person of Jesus Christ. Because we know that through him, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we stand with him for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us more than we deserve we are thankful. This week, especially as we focus in on that concept of gratitude, we want to say thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you for giving us rest. Make us shine brightly so that others will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Grow us in holiness and keep us focused on our way, being drawn in by your mystery. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Church, let's worship together with this next song. And as you think about those four points, which have been dropped there in the chat, maybe during this next song, you want to write them down so that this week you can go back to verse 3, just go back to chapter 12, and, and review those four gifts that God has given us, this mission, this charge that we are called to do in the meantime. Let's worship together right now.